Good morning, everyone. This is Linda Santifica on Pressing Beyond. When it comes to envisioning our lives and our children's lives, we have dreams and aspirations, and we hope that our best laid plans to make them happen fall into place. However, sometimes the unexpected happens and the life we envisioned for the family is no longer feasible. Today, Tammy and Pat McLeod are going to share their story of how they and their children pressed beyond and navigated through the most devastating of circumstances, yet remain steadfast knowing that God is forever faithful. Good morning, Tammy. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. Good morning. I just finished reading your book, Hit Hard, and it was heartbreaking. However, given some of our listeners may not be aware of the book Hit Hard, I think it would be helpful to go back to that day when your lives were upended forever. Yeah, so our story in Hit Hard, it began on a, a warm summer night in Boston. It's actually the uh, first large group meeting of the year for the ministry that we lead in Boston. So if you can imagine the largest lecture hall on campus filled with college students. Uh, it was kind of like a rock concert had just yeah. ended and the <laughs> students are gathered around giving hugs and the girls are screaming because they haven't seen, you know, their friend all summer and guys are slapping each other on the back and, and uh, a very festive moment when all of a sudden a student came up behind me and impatiently interrupted this conversation I was in and she had a very concerned look on her face and handed me her phone saying your your son is trying to reach you it, it was our son Nate he's our third child and uh, our oldest actually had just left for college a couple of weeks before our son Zach was supposedly at a football scrimmage and then the son who was calling Nate was home alone then our youngest son was with us actually at the event anyway it was our son Nate who was calling from home he says he just, you know, unloaded on me. Why aren't you answering your phone? People have been calling. The, uh, Zach's been hurt. Coaches were calling. Then parents started calling. Now the hospital is calling. And dad, they said that he's being airlifted to a hospital and he has to undergo an emergency brain surgery. And they need to talk to you to get your permission. And within seconds, we were, in, we grabbed Soren and I got, I went back in the room and got Tammy and we racing down Commonwealth Ave to find our way to a hospital that we had never even been to before in downtown Boston. And when we got there, we were met by the doctor who, well, first of all, we, they brought us into a room where there, you know, Zach was there still with his football uniform on. I mean, his, his shoulder pads were off, his helmet was off, but everything else was still on and he was intubated. And the doctor with his entourage of other physicians, you know, around him broke busted through the doors and he informed us that Zach had, had suffered a traumatic brain injury and that they were going to have to open up his skull cap and uh, cauterize some vessels and that he informed us, you know, very candidly, this could result in death, but he could also have a full recovery and, or anything in between. And then he handed us this clipboard and said, I need you to sign here. And we did, and they gave us a moment to pray for Zach. And then they whisked him out of that room. And about four and a half hours later, maybe more, we came back to that same place. And the doctor said, well, we did what we could do. And now we just have to wait. The bottom line is Zach survived the surgery, but a portion of his brain 
did not. And, our, you know, our marriage, our family, even our faith has survived, but everything has changed. When you were in the hospital and prior to signing, give approval to do this procedure, again, it, there was, you had no clue as to if the surgery would even work. You didn't really have many options. It was like they either go through surgery, which may not pan out, mm-hmm. or to say, if you didn't do anything, Zach would not have survived. Correct. Yeah, no option there. How long was it after the surgery Zach started to respond? They kept him in a, in a medically induced coma for, they were planning to do that for a while with the hope that the brain swelling would subside. It was after like, I think the third day. One, one thing they did tell us is that if the brain began to swell too much, they would have to go back in to his brain. They'd have to open it up and they'd have to take the bone, a bone flap off, you know, part of his skull cap off of his head and they would sew it into his abdomen so that it would, that's how they keep the bone alive. And then one, once the brain had gotten back to normal size, they would reattach it. Uh, but we were informed when they brought up by a nurse, he said, he said, by the way, if they ever want to do that, you should get a second opinion because I've never seen anyone who's undergone that surgery have a full recovery. So that thought had been registered in our mind. And in fact, three days later, we were both finally sent home. This was the first time that there wasn't one of us there next to Zach because he was doing so well. And Mm -hmm. they said, you should go home and sleep because when we do wake him up from this coma, he needs someone that he recognizes around him because they start to thrash and they're confused. So we did, we took that as a good sign that things were headed in the right direction. And then, yeah, we were uh, woken in the middle of the night. Uh, I heard the phone ringing and that of course, you know, just wasn't good news. They informed us that the brain swelling had gotten so bad that they had to go in again. And so we raced back down to the hospital, got there before they did this. And, and I said to him, I said, is it possible to get a second opinion? And the doctor looked at me and he said, well, we've got five doctors around this circle. You can ask them. And they all were like, yeah, you know, to do this. if you want him to live, you've got to do this. And so mm-hmm. he said, yes. Following that procedure, he survived it. What was his recovery though? Because he, he wasn't 100%. So he did um, two weeks in the ICU, and then he was moved to Spalding Rehab for four uh-huh. months. And there he had to learn to sit first, and then had to learn to stand, and then to walk. He could walk again with a brace. Um, he learned a few sentences, but his speech center was pretty much gone from the injury. So he couldn't really speak. And his short-term memory was mostly gone. He had all of his long-term memory. So when he came out of his coma, he knew who we were and he could respond to questions. So when someone talks to Zach, he understands everything they're saying. He just can't say much back. Now, when did you find out? I mean, because obviously there's permanent damage from the injury. So when did you find out that Zach is going to need care 24-7. It was obvious that he was not going to play football. So when did you know that he wasn't going to come through? At the end of rehab, they 
said that Zach is not well enough to go home to your house. He needs 24 seven care. And so they said his best chance for recovery is to send him to a brain injury rehab school. And so we did, uh, it was a residential school, uh, 25 minutes from our house. And we knew at the moment that he left for that school that a full recovery would be a long shot. But I would say it wasn't until year one. Yeah. Mm. When we finally hit the first year anniversary, because we had read a lot about brain injury and we know that lots of things still change over time. Mm. They still are. We're in year 13 right now. Mm-hmm. But we knew that by year one, he wasn't going to have a full recovery. So that was a very hard anniversary. It is interesting, Linda, how the, you know, the rehab hospitals are exciting for me actually because you get to see change you know and uh, the change was there was change happening every day I mean he Mm. those first five weeks it was all change in the wrong direction I mean he went from being 106 uh, almost 160 pounds to like 114 pounds so he lost about a third of his body weight he was emaciated Um, he was he almost died I mean he got pneumonia and he got more and more sick and so you know once though he got into that rehab hospital every day we began to see changes and really and the doctors were pretty upfront they said you know the brain is is amazing and and the fact that he's young is really it, it gives us reason to be hopeful and uh, he far surpassed what any of them thought was possible the zach that we have uh, but he was nowhere near where you know we were hoping that he would be you know to be able to live an independent life to maybe marry someday to you know all of these these hopes were being dashed the long the longer that we got into this and saw no changes uh, mm-hmm. the more we and that and yeah and it, be, it eventually became so overwhelmingly obvious that we had and there you know we talked about these moments in our story of you know sure. how we get to that point and and how we navigated that point and what actually helped us through that Hmm. rehab people went around the room and they gave the report right before he went off to the brain injury school and they said his speech is not going to return and that was very very hard for me because I had a really close relationship with Zach we would spend time talking about what we were learning as we would read scripture and how God was speaking to us and prayed for each other and sang worship songs together so to know that his voice, I wouldn't be able to do those things again. It was heartbreaking. Because this was so sudden, you both as parents, you did what you have to do, but I mean, you have three other kids and they all have these wonderful relationships with their brother. Mm. And this was, and I mean, your son, his love for God, his, he loved going to South Africa on mission trips. So physically there's loss, but then there's this presence and this presence has changed. He's still there. So at that point, we didn't really have a name for the kind of loss that we were in. Uh, since then, we, you know, we've learned that's a big part of what the book chronicles is our journey into the world of ambiguous loss. But that's that's what we had. It's ambiguous loss is that experience of both having and not having someone the way that you once had them. And the real challenge, according to the person who coined the term, 
ambiguous loss. The real challenge of, of living well with ambiguous loss is learning to live well with both having and not having at the same time. That's really hard to do. I mean, you usually do one or the other or neither, right? Uh, if you do one, so for example, you could obsess over the sun that you have, but live in complete denial about the sun that you've lost. That was me. Uh, or you could, you know, really be very focused on the sun that you lost and recognize that there's been a real loss here. I don't have Zach the way that I once had him and I never will. But then struggling in one's attempt to uh, reattach to the sun you still have. So that's, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult to do both of those. And our story is really that of one doing one, me to being the one, you know, obsessing over the sun I still had and Tammy the one who really dealt with the son that was lost, but was struggling to revise her attachment to the son she still had. And so then it was true for our kids. They, they were all in the midst of it as well. And that's, that's part of the reason why, I mean, Tammy's the expert really now on ambiguous loss. She's taken the classes and she's studied this very carefully and she can tell that story. But that was what I think was going on in our family. I do uh -huh. want to get to Tammy on that, but Pat, like you said, you were obsessing, you, you were really focused on Zach. Yeah. So how does that impact the rest of the, the family? Rest of the family? Yeah. We were very fortunate because we had an incredible support network around us. I, I won't go into all the details of that. So the, the kids were absorbed by our broader community, you know? Uh, and there were some things, I mean, and also I was able to pretty much step away from my job for months uh, in order to be there with Zach whenever I could. And then uh, it allowed me to have some, I mean, I did have some really great times with other two sons who were still home. I think it was absolutely devastating for our daughter, Chelsea. I mean, mm -hmm. she's, can you imagine that? I mean- I mean, she's off in college too. I yeah. mean, she's not even home. Yeah, she said to me, you think it's bad to lose a son. I lost a best friend. And she lost it at a place where no one knows Zach. She's completely by herself. She's trying to process, you know. It was just, I think the more I think about that, even coming up to this interview, the more overwhelmed I am at how painful that must have been for our daughter. And it was, she told us, she's good at telling us, but it was like, you know, devastating. This was her best friend. And then Zach was Soren's idol. <laughs> like from the moment Soren was born, Zach would carry him around. <laughs> so in an instant, he lost a person who was connected so deeply to him, almost like a dad brother. So for him, he just went inward. It was hard to deal with the pain. And he's since dealt with a lot of it, but very, very hard on him. And it's shocking. It's not a gradual thing. You know, you hear somebody, they're diagnosed with something and that is a gradual progression. Nobody saw this coming. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to the ambiguous loss, the have, the have not, because you two were not on the same page. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, here you're married, this is your son. And what's the communication going on? I mean, you both want the best outcome. Obviously, you both had different perceptions. Do you want to answer that? I, I, think <laughs> I don't know who to direct this one to, so I'm, I'm leaving it out in the air. One of our biggest conflicts was how much to bring Zach home. 
Mm. Because what we didn't want to do is collapse on Zach. Like that's mm -hmm. what's normal when there's a tragedy. Usually parents collapse on the one child who's been injured. So we were trying to still stay in the lives of our other kids. So I was suggesting that since Zach is 24 seven care, like Pat would have to sleep with him and take him to the bathroom in the middle of the night. By the end of the weekend, he'd be exhausted. So I was like, could we just have Zach here in the daytime? And then he could just sleep at his group home and they could just bring him here in the morning and then we could spend time with him. So Pat really wanted to spend all weekend with Zach and I wanted to spend part of the weekend with Zach so that we could have time together as a married couple and time with our other kids. So I think that was one of our biggest conflicts. And then the other one was, it happened at someone's house one night when Pat started talking about all the great stories about Zach. And I just got really angry because like, don't just tell the positive stuff. Also, can we just talk about how hard this is? Mm -hmm. We lost our son as we knew him. And so I wanted the people we were with to feel the pain of our loss. And he wanted to celebrate with all the fun things that were changing. So big clash. One thing I loved that you did do was you had sort of a celebration. That must have been very healing. Yes. I kept asking every year, could we do something on the anniversary? And Pat didn't want to do it. So um, the anniversary of his injury. Yeah, the anniversary. She wanted to mark that event. And that to me sounded like the worst thing possible. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, but you know something, it's also it happened from your book. I get the sense that acknowledging it for real was really helpful. It was huge. It was really healing. Yeah, so now, once I learned about ambiguous loss, I tried with Pat again, and I showed him the research, and Pauline Boss talks about doing ceremonies is really helpful, and so oh, that's why we decided, we decided to do that two-part ceremony one, the first one where we focused on the losses, Zach was not there. That night, we had a big birthday party for him, and all his friends were there, so at the first one, he wasn't there. At the second one, he was. So oh. I actually like doing those both together. Now, what was the reason for not, at the first one, the people gave us sort of their testimonies about Zach's, your decision not to have him there? Yeah, we gave everyone in the audience a chance to write on blue cards things that they lost, their mm -hmm. losses, and then we actually collected them as they left. So we now have the record of not only our own losses, but everyone's losses. And people stood up and shared those. And we thought it would be too hard to have him in the room for that part. It's a, it's a beautiful testimony to Zach. Tammy, you ended up having thyroid mm. surgery. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer in November. Mm -hmm. And then we had a second tragedy with Zach it's too long to get into, but he had another brain injury and we had to go through the whole thing again. And my surgery was right at the time that Zach was in the hospital the second time with a brain injury. So oh. Pat was going back and forth between Mass Eye and Ear and MGH uh, visiting both of us. The thing that I really wanted to touch on was the most beautiful thing about your story is your faith 
and Zach's faith and his love for the Lord. I think it's just, you know, there's a lot of justification to be angry. What I read through your book was your your ongoing faith and Zach's love for the Lord. So through all of this, any question about what's going on here, God, what are you doing? For me, it was interesting because I had asked the question, what are you doing, God, when I saw other people suffer? But when I was in the middle of suffering, the only thing I thought about was God's nearness and suffering. <laughs> so wow. it was so amazing. Just like, wow, wow. it's really true what he says in Psalm 34, that he's near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. It's true in my experience. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest thing for me. Just, I felt a really deep connection with God actually through suffering. And I feel like I got the strength to make it through from God. And then Zach's love for Christ. He really loved Jesus before his injury. And there's actually no change in that. In the book he wrote, I thirst for God because he has given me life and joy. I will keep on worshiping him as long as I live. Right. With everything that's going on right now, and he is, it, it seems like you, you're in a place now where he's not far from you. He's about, what, an hour away or so? In a, it's a little less now, but yeah, he's 20 minutes maybe. Where are his spirits now? Oh, he is the most joyful, happy person I know. He doesn't have his short-term memory. He does have his long-term memory. So he remembers the people from the past, but he doesn't ever live in the past. And he never thinks about the future. It's not on his mind, like, what am I going to do? Or what do I want to do in the world or anything? He is 100% present. So that's what I try to be in life, but it's hard. <laughs> but he's right with the person. Well, that there's your role model, Zach. And he also realizes that this is his life. Yeah. Now, where is Chelsea and Nate and Soren? Where are they all right now? Chelsea is in Australia. She was locked in the con uh, continent for 2.5 years. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to see her in May. So she's doing digital marketing for Crocs. And then Nate is in LA. He's in the film industry. Great. And Soren just graduated from Harvard and he's working at NYU in a lab on brain injury research. Well, that wasn't a coincidence. And you both are still employed with crew. Yeah, that's, wonderful. that's right. Operating as ch chaplains at Harvard College. And uh, Tammy's also the director of college ministry at Park Street Church. Now, I don't even know how to phrase this, but from everything that's gone on with Zach and your family, what do you parlay into your life now and because everything that's happened to you has been so heart-wrenching how have you taken that awful situation that you had to get through to where you are now i have a couple of thoughts on that i one is that um it's related to the book actually one i think one of the things that it's helped me to to grieve the loss finally and to come to terms with the fact that there is real loss here was writing the book. And um, from the beginning of this journey into this world of ambiguous loss, I was struck by, you know, I, I've often said that, you know, pe people actually, when they interview us like this, Linda, they usually do ask the question, especially when we do this, you know, in, in a more secular context. They're like, so you guys are like ministers and you had this terrible tragedy 
happened to you, you know, the son you love so much is such a great kid and, and this happens. Surely there must have been moments in your journey where you doubted the existence of God. And, you know, that was asked us a few times early on and, and we both, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, no, not, not really. And finally, I, you know, at one t- after one of those, I'm like, you know, I think I need to just tell people that the truth on this matter is that in my life, you know, like I wasn't raised to be very religious, but in college, I, you know, was introduced to the Christian faith and it changed my life. And, um, and there, and since then, there have been maybe five moments in my life where I was just so overwhelmed by the reality of God and his presence in this world and in my life. There have been like five of those and four of them happened after Zach got hurt. And they were all related to uh, moments of incredible pain and loss and I mean, anguish where I, you know, in the first case, just screamed in, I was finally by myself alone. It was actually after Chelsea had just come back and for the first time laid eyes on Zach. And that was so overwhelming for me emotionally to see her start to cry. And, and then the doctor, and that had been preceded by a doctor telling me the results to his most recent CAT scan, which was, well, he's, this has been injured. This has been injured. This has been injured. He probably won't speak. He probably won't be able to, you know, he'll have weakness on his right side and, and uh, there's going to be a visual impairment and just listed everything. And I, so all this was just being dumped on me. And when, when Chelsea and Tammy got out of the car, cause we went to lunch, I just screamed out in agony, you know, and pain and was immediately just like in these other instances, I won't go into as many details. I won't share them. But I was immediately overwhelmed by the thought that I was in the presence, not of this, you know, unmoved mover God, you know, not the philosopher's God of Aristotle or something like that. But I was in the presence of a crucified God. I mean, this is what, this is why, I don't know when this will air, but this is, we're in the midst of Holy Week, you know, we're coming on Good Friday. And just the, the fact that when God became flesh and dwelt among us, he was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. He suffered and he bore our sins. He, he himself uh, cried out in agonizing pain, my God, you know, quoting this psalm, why hast thou forsaken me? And I was immediately struck by the fact that God understood this pain, you know, and, and for years as a person operating in the academy, that has been a question that people raise. How do you explain the existence of a loving and powerful God in, the, in a world that's filled with so much suffering? And to me, like, I don't think there is a better defense for the veracity and the, the, the importance of the, of the Christian message than to see that when God became flesh and dwelt among us, he suffered. He came in solidarity with us and endured uh, such you know, pain. So to me, it was a bonding moment. It was a great realization that that there is something broken in this world, Mm -hmm. but the God who made it has come into this world to save us, you know? So I forget even what your question was, but that's kind of my (laughs) No, but the thing is, you know, something Pat and Tammy, like you as a Christian and, and a believer, I always feel when I'm experiencing pain, whatever it is, whether it's emotional or loss or whatever, Jesus felt it first. Mm -hmm. 
you to me are spiritual giants. I can't. Zach, Zach is a spiritual giant. You need oh, to meet Zach. Zach, 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 Zach. <laughs> actually, that, if I could say one more thing, because this is what I wanted to say, but I kind of got diverted by that story. <laughs> but I just feel I felt like from the beginning of his journey, there were these small moments where I began to recognize, and this is what I think is the magic of the book is that there's these moments where that are pointing you where the where the small like dramas of our own lives are pointing us toward a bigger story that can absorb them and that can make sense of them and that can give us hope in the midst of them and that's what Zach has done that's what that's how God has uh, shown us that yes listen this is this has taken us deeper in our appreciation of an understanding of the Christian message and the and a God who's who died on a cross. Anyway, I I do think that that's the small story of suffering and Zach himself are pointing us toward this bigger story of the Christian message and gospel. We don't know why things happen, but mm -hmm. what's amazing is we do know that there is a God who's there with us. Yeah. Yes. Then if I could make one other little plug for Tammy and her role in this book, because I, I think she, you know, she was really aggressive about trying to grieve. She, you know, she took, she was in the middle of graduate school too, and she was studying grief and reading all these books on grief, and none of them really connected to the kind of grief we were in, because they were just more about the, the, the grief of death you know, the grief related to, to final and clear loss, but this ambiguous loss was such a, fine. I mean, she finally, the way she found it, you want to tell her the way you found it? Yes, I would like you to talk about this, Tammy, because I know you said it in the book, but I'm really interested in how you found out about this ambiguous loss. A lot of people experience it, and they probably are not aware of what it is. Yeah, so I was going to answer that and how my life is affected now. I would say the ambiguous loss is just a huge part of it, just understanding what that is. But like Pat said, I was really frustrated because all the books on grief that I was reading had nothing to do with me. I remember reading what was called the top book on grief. And for our kind of loss, it said, they had one sentence. It said, we have to do a lot more research on this type of loss. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding? <laughs> no one's done this yet. <laughs> so I just decided because none of my colleagues or friends knew any books that would address our type of loss. I just called Spalding Rehab and I said to the librarian, can you help me, please? I want to write on our type of loss, but I can't find any books about it. And he called back the next day and he said, the term for your type of loss is ambiguous loss. Here are the articles, here's the person who coined the term. So I ordered the books. I sat down and read the books right away. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I know what it is and it makes so much sense. Yeah, so there's actually two types. Pauline Boss is the person who coined the term. She coined it in 1999 and she's now in her mid eighties. And so it's, she gave her whole life's work to this, but there's physical absence with psychological presence. So it's like people missing due to war, terrorism, natural disasters, kidnapping, incarceration, divorce, adoption, immigration. Uh, she first learned about it through her immigration in her family. And then the second type is where you have psychological 
absence, but physical presence. So that's what we have. Alzheimer's disease, traumatic brain injuries, chronic mental illness, addictions, like drugs, alcohol, gambling, where the person isn't the same anymore. And so the challenge to ambiguous loss is like Pat said, living with having and not having. So she actually called it the most stressful type of loss. So she didn't say it's the worst. She I cannot, said, well, there's no closure. Yeah, there's no closure. Yeah. And then the other thing that makes it really stressful is it's not validated mm. in our culture. So there are no ceremonies oh. for people like us. Um, and so that's why boss talks about it is really good to have your own ceremony. Mm. So, it, and I'll never forget uh, when COVID hit in uh, March, 2020, I thought, Pat, the whole world is going into ambiguous loss right now because they're going to have people and not have them the same way. The whole world was like thrust into it. Well, now that you brought that up, I think of all the people who lost loved ones through the pandemic and they never got to get mm -hmm. that closure, that, you know, a send off or something. I lead grief groups at Harvard now. And I can just tell you, if I hadn't had this loss, I wouldn't have signed up to lead grief groups. Mm. You know, so I think that's one of the most redemptive things to me. I think that was your question that you asked us. I'm not the same. <laughs> like I'm a different person. Mm. And I, I definitely wouldn't be working in the world of grief if I hadn't suffered a massive loss. So I'm grateful for how my life has changed I'd rather just have Zach back as he was, you know, so, but I'm grateful for how my life has changed. And anytime, like even with this podcast, if this podcast could help one person to heal, then it would be so encouraging to me because the stuff that we put out in the world could help even one person. Absolutely. And you know something, Tammy, this just goes back to, with everything that happened in your family with Zach, both of you could have could be very bitter if you wanted to. I mean, you could have made that choice, but you chose a greater good from what happened. So you have a renewed sense of hope. Mm -hmm. It's not the hope you had. Yeah, I think that's true. I wanted to make a comment on this as a man. For me, it wasn't just that no one ever taught me or modeled to me how it is that you grieve or how you deal with, you know, pain and loss. Actually, boss says, you know, one of the reasons why America is so generally bad when it comes to dealing with loss and grief is because we just don't like to lose. <laughs> and so, and that was kind of how it was for me, you know, how, how do you process sadness and anger and all of those complex emotions that come with a loss like this? And in many ways, I was not only not taught how to grieve, but I was taught not to grieve, to, to show no visible yeah. sign of weakness, to, to not, yes. to stay focused on the positive. And even as a young Christian, I was, I noticed that, and like the one place I had seen my father shed a tear was at, at a funeral when, when our, my grandpa, his father died. Then I become a Christian and I go to a funeral and it's a celebration of life. And I'm like, wow, you can't even cry here. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, it's what's wrong with this world and so and and yet when jesus showed up at the funeral of lazarus he wept snorted at death he was you know there was 
the translation of that word of, uh, of him looking at the tomb was, it, it's the same word as the word used of a horse as it's pawing the ground or ready, ready to charge and time to vanquish its opponent. It's like he felt things deeply and he expressed them both in, in tears and, and with his indignation. And, you know, then he raises Lazarus from this. So I think, I just feel like I've been on a journey of learning how to greet and I've, that has changed me for sure. And I, again, this is what, I, again, I'm getting back to things I wanted to say, but didn't say, sure. I just think that that's one of the reasons why hit, we wrote Hit Hard is because it's, it's a story that can validate the feelings and the complex emotions that people are experiencing when they're grieving or when they're, and when they're grieving an ambiguous loss, especially, you know, so, so we wrote the book that we wish we had, we, that we had yeah. when we were in the midst of this. When we talk about in the Bible, what does God say? I have all your tears stored up mm. in heaven. I mean, so it's justified in Christ to, to grieve because he does with us and for us. Yeah. 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. So that's what you do with your pain. You bring them before God. You know, and that's and that's what I was saying happened in that car that day is I just brought that to God and he met me in it in a profound way, you know. Both of you have everything you've gone through. You just and I don't know how to say this. I know the pain is I can't imagine, but I think it's amazing what you're doing for those out there who don't like you said, Tammy, they have no idea what this ambiguous loss is. There is a term people can go to this. And they can get your book, Hit Hard, again, by Pat and Tammy McLeod. Great. And it's so well written. You worked with, was it Cynthia Rupti? Yeah. Cynthia Rupti is She's amazing. wonderful. Uh, like, she definitely made it so much better. She's such a great, well, she just, she just does magic with words. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's a good, uh, and she understood our story. And, and she wrote knew your story. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a gripping story. The end of all of this, there's something beautiful that comes out of it. Zach. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I hope we get to meet him someday. Yeah. I do. I'm looking forward to meeting you when we get to Boston. And, and again, your website is patandtammymcleod.com. Pat and Tammy McLeod.com. Okay. The people don't know how to spell McLeod. Okay. It's, yeah, it's M C L E O D. All right, everybody out there, if you want to get hit hard, thank you, Tammy and Pat, for being here today. I love your pleasure. story and your strength and your resilience. It's amazing. Thank you. Great Linda. to be with yeah, you. Thanks for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Perfect.